TFM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he is every episode, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, it's a beautiful day outside, but I thought maybe we could go hang out in some caves together today. Uh, you know, I hear that there's going to be a windstorm coming down uh, from the mountains, so it's probably a good idea for us to set up camp there, uh, and so. Always wise to get an early start. Yeah, well, I agree. And I'm so glad to see that you brought Porthos with you today. Oh, of course. We want to make sure that uh, he can explore strange new worlds just like everybody else. Right, where no dog has gone before. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, we're going to continue our look back at Enterprise on its 20th anniversary year today with Strange New World, which is the third episode, although it is number four in production number because they numbered Broken Bow one and two. And this is the first time that we get that exploratory away mission where they've set out on their mission and they've encountered an alien planet and they're going to go down to the surface and just check things out. Yes, we did go to Rigel 10 and we went to Kronos in the pilot in Broken Bow. But here we've discovered what we all know in Star Trek, for a long time, we knew it was an M-class planet. And here we learn one of the great things about Enterprise, filling in those gaps. We learn that it is called an M-class planet because the Vulcans call these Minshara-class planets. Yeah, I really love that. I, I thought that was one of the most fun things in the episode to kind of give fans the reasoning behind that. And, and what I kind of love is, you know, this is before the Federation exists, and yet Already, humans and Vulcans are taking things from each other in the same way in which different languages take words, you know, for like technologies that are invented or anything, and they be yeah. just become the word that you use. And so for Starfleet to begin to use the term M-class or Minshara-class planet, and, and then that gets shortened and it be what the Federation and Starfleet will use in perpetuity now – is really, really neat to get a chance to see. And it, it's not even something that's like, it's not even like, hey, 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 remember that thing we used to call planet? You know, like, it's just a part right. of the dialogue and it's it's very wonderful. And, and if you were a first-time Star Trek fan and Enterprise was your first show to be watching, you wouldn't even know. So this is just one of those wonderful little Easter eggs that they put in there for the fans and I think this is one of the ways in which Star Trek Enterprise, or just Enterprise at this point, was taking care of the fans and making a show that hopefully that they would enjoy seeing these little moments like this. Well, it is, as Larry and I often talk about, texture, filling in those gaps, adding texture to the universe. And that's what they do here. I like to think in my head, I, I think it would be funny if it turned out that like K-class planets were Kinshara class and L-class planets were Linshara class. That would have been fine. but Yeah. And, <laughs> and it could actually, you know, be something like that. I don't know if we really ever, other than Minshara class, I can't remember in Enterprise if we ever do that with any other uh, of the, the class of planets. But it would make sense that we're going off the Vulcan star chart here for the places that yeah. we're exploring. And to kind of the, the fact that, again, 
Starfleet here, Earth Starfleet, would use these delineations because that's what the Vulcans used. And so, yeah, no, exactly. I think it, it really works. Yeah, it works great. Well, while we're talking about exploring, you know, finding a new planet going down, let's just talk about how this episode, as I said in the opening, it's the first time that we just find a planet and we just go down to check it out. So how does this story establish this idea of humanity venturing out into deep space for the first time and exploring and how the series itself is going to lead us towards the creation mm-hmm. of the Federation? Well, I mean, I really think that this episode is one which shows how humanity has acted for for much of its existence, which is to kind of throw caution to the wind. Yeah. Whereas you're juxtaposing this specifically in this episode with what how the Vulcans would do things, which is very cautiously. So you you have caution kind of versus go get ness uh, of of humans, which is we just want to go and experience. And in many ways, it's humans are willing to kind of pay for their gregariousness with mistakes. And that's kind of how we learn. Vulcans are, are people who they don't want to learn from mistakes. They don't want to make any mistakes, you know. And so I think that's kind of one of the things that we get to explore here is the difference between the races and the way in which that they do things. And I, I thought that that was really fun to see but even the vulcans aren't necessarily thinking and and even with what to paul says like i don't get the thought process that they were expecting a planet like this to turn out to have some sort of hallucinogenic properties oh, right. you know yeah. like this isn't even something maybe they would even have been looking for so um who knows if a week long of tests they would even have found you know this except for just seeing the way in which the native fauna and flora interact with the human and, and Vulcan respiratory systems. And so, like, it also goes to show that as much caution as you can put into it, there's always going to be risk involved. And I, I think that yeah. that's kind of, again, we're kind of seeing that juxtaposition as well as how much risk do you take and and how much caution do you take and, and where's the line between that and... I like that. I mean, I, I, I again, I, I think the fact that we're dealing with these type of issues in, you know, the quote unquote fourth episode of the series is really smart because this is exactly what they would be dealing with in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a wonderful setup. And I was imagining the early explorers on Earth setting out in ships crossing the oceans what would it have been like for them if they got near the coastline and they said, okay, let's just hang out here for seven days and stare at things through our periscopes and and think mm-hmm. about it for a while before we go on shore? How would that have worked? Well, it also brings to mind, I mean, and, and, and in many ways, they're actually subtly referencing the way in which, you know, once humanity starts crossing oceans and ships and going to completely different continents, you end up with different people groups meeting each other for the first time. And because of the the biological experience being different, mm-hmm. you end up having viruses cross oceans that didn't affect one group but now affect you know so in many ways that's also kind of what we're dealing with here that uh, that idea of yeah when you go to a new planet it's gonna have a whole new ecology to it and that can impact then the 
a human, Vulcan, Andorian, anybody else who visits that planet in a way that might not have impacted anything else that lived on that planet. And this is where you kind of deal with that's the beauty of them not really having the transporter with the biofilter and all of this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. You you have to deal with these realities, which makes the show really interesting to see humanity kind of stumble and fall and have to learn these type of lessons and, and kind of figure these things out. And the fact that we just don't have an easy button like the transporter to take care of all that stuff gives us that opportunity uh, to not only explore those ideas, but also, I mean, this whole episode really becomes about exploring what happens when you put these people under extreme stress, like what comes mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I want to talk about in a little bit, which we do have on the outline here. Before we get into that part of the conversation, though, sticking with this exploration that's going on. Another thing that stood out to me is just the sense of wonder. I love the scene when the shuttle pod lands on the planet and they put the ramp down and they all come walking out into the bright sunlight. It's this beautiful world and Porthos comes running out. And the fact that humans have a dog with them when they visit this planet and the dog runs across the field, I thought was just a great commentary on Humanity as we are today, again, we always talk about with Enterprise how they are much closer to us so we can identify them. And I think it's exactly what you and I would probably do. We'd have a dog with us and we would just be having a great day out in the sunshine on this planet. But, uh, you know, Travis also, his reaction is wonderful in this episode. And it just stands out to me that they really capture that sense of wonder for humans being able to experience these worlds for the very first time, because in later Star Trek, it's always such just like a routine part of the day to visit an alien world. Even in the original series for Kirk and Spock and Bones, when they go down to a planet, it's not like, wow, it's an interesting alien planet here. It's always like, okay, we're on another planet. And of course, the cleanup ship is hanging out back there going, oh my God, Kirk and Spock and Bones are on another planet. What kind of mess are we going to have to clean up after this one? You know, (laughs) but, and then when you get into the next generation and and Voyager, it's very much just completely routine. And I love here that we actually get to experience that feeling and that sense of wonder. Yeah, no, I I think that I absolutely agree with you and what i think is even more beautiful about the way this episode is constructed is that there aren't any humanoids on this planet you know there's no yeah, life right. on this planet uh intelligent life and and yet it's still the wonder like you said of being on a new world like this it's kind of similar to earth it looks just like california basically and you know yeah. uh so <laughs> imagine that, how we would feel are. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine how we would feel, though, like if we stepped out of a ship on another planet and we saw that would be Mm -hmm. incredible. A hundred percent. And I I mean, you kind of get the joy then of like them camping out and Mm -hmm. getting to experience that. And just like the idea of being back under the stars and on solid ground. Ghost stories by the campfire. Yeah. Ghost, ghost stories. Uh, they've all got Janeway's coffee mug, which is really cool. You know, <laughs> I like to retcon this in my mind now that yeah. Janeway actually 
replicates her coffee specifically in enterprise era coffee mugs because she's <laughs> thinking back to Archer and his crew. So, but yeah, I mean, I like all of these type of things I think are, are really, really cool. But also, I mean, I, when you talk about that sense of wonder, I also love the very beginning of the episode. We start with crewman Cutler and her friend and the moment they see that planet out the window and their eyes just yeah. get huge and like they're so excited about the idea of possibly being able to visit another world and and to see another world from space that reminds you of home but is different and all those things like to mm-hmm. me that was really great as well um also i gotta love that crewman cutler references arrakis prime which is a dune reference so that's great as well what is fun about it to me is that the episode is having fun through the characters of of exploring something that should be exciting to us. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Novakovich is the crewmate that is sitting there with Cutler at the table, who unfortunately doesn't make it later on. Spoiler alert. But think about it, Matthew. I think Novakovich was looking for any excuse to escape the table because if you were sitting down having lunch with a girl and she's just talking about how there are 5,000 types of termites running around on this planet, <laughs> wouldn't you be like looking for an out? It's like, I'm eating here. Cutler, I'm eating. Come on. Uh, let's you talk know, about termites see, later. <laughs> personally, no, because I love Kelly Waymeyer as Cutler. I think she's yeah, so. I do too. Just like she's an incredibly endearing character, mm-hmm. and I, I, rem- I mean, I, you know, it's it's one of those things we'll come back to uh, as we get through the first season. And unfortunately, she passes away very suddenly. Yeah, yeah. And it was a huge detriment to Enterprise because they were obviously building the character, and they will build this character throughout this season until she passes away. And she was kind of meant to be kind of a secondary level just like we got on Deep Space Nine. And I love that they were trying that with different crew members. And yeah, she is so, I mean, she's wonderful in this episode and she's wonderful in every episode she comes up and next. And so yeah. um, I just wanted to call I, that out because she she really does add something, I think, of the way in which basically the Lower Decks crew members would try to be yeah. familiarizing themselves with those, you know, Famous five, famous seven. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. And yeah, it was so sad when she passed away because mm-hmm. I thought Cutler added a lot to the show. I love, yep. you know, later we'll get a chance to talk about her storyline, her romantic yes. storyline with Flox, yep. which was wonderful. And listeners who have been listening to the network for years and years, listening to me, know that I love Leffler. But Cutler is just below Leffler for me. And I, I just always love that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I to me, I think she's she's probably my Leffler. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but and and it was just because I think she was such a really well written character. Um, but at the same time, I think the way that Kelly played her, she had yeah. such a desire to learn and to grow and to experience new things, and she was kind of the epitome of Enterprise, but on the lower mm-hmm. decks level. And I, I think that's what made her really special. So. Yeah, fantastic performance. Yeah, I'll say the sense of wonder, Chris, though, ends for me at Alien Bugs. I don't want Alien Bugs. <laughs> uh, that's the last thing I want to experience. Well, well, Trip wants to stun the bug. <laughs> well, I, 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 I would have stunned it, killed it, stomped on it. I just don't want it in my sleeping bag. <laughs> 
You want to shoot a bug? I just want to stun it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on and talk about the technology. So early tech, they made a real point in Enterprise from the beginning not to have the familiar Star Trek technology. So we saw that in the previous episode where Malcolm's working on how to fire the missiles so they can protect themselves because they don't have photon torpedoes, they don't have phasers yet. And how are they going to do that? And of course, the transporters, everyone's scared of the transporter, even though it has been approved for humans to go through. People don't really want to do that. So here we land by shuttle. And then when we do try to use the transporter, we have a little bit of an accident. Yeah, I think all of this was great because it does show the limits of the technology in this time period. And I think that that's something that we do want to see. We do want to see the way in which... This crew is having to deal with those limitations, the way they overcome those limitations. And also, you know, I think it it's incredibly cool to be able to see, okay, as they try to then push the limitations that they do with the transporter here. And we see just how ineffectual the transporter is compared to the transporters we know. Um, mm-hmm. I think that is actually a smart thing to do here because it, it continues to let you know why we're not going to be using this every time to get us out of situations. I think that there's a real beauty in that because you could, I think, just think to yourself, oh, well, they could just use the transporter to get out of this. And Mm -hmm. and then you see an episode like this that reminds you their transporter is, what, half as sophisticated as what you'd get even in the original series as opposed to even, you know, obviously. So I think that stuff was really exciting. And... Even just the shuttle getting pushed around, it's it doesn't have the same amount of power as a shuttle that we'd see in TOS or, or later series. So I think all of that makes exploring this time period exciting because you are able to put the crew in more danger because you can't just technobabble your way out of it. Or you just can't tech your way out of it. Right, right. And looking at it in terms of the writing... I think that's important because how many times in Star Trek do we see them take an easy path out in the writing by just beaming out or using some other tech? It makes it very easy. You know, the really good writers still find a way to make the story more interesting. But there are plenty of instances where it really is the deus ex machina of the episode and people just use the transporter to basically in the storyline because they don't have another solution. But here they're really forced to write themselves out of the problem because they don't have that easy out, technological easy out. And in many ways it becomes like a human solution, right? Mm -hmm. It's about humanity as well as to Paul and flocks working together to find ways to overcome the situations they come into that aren't just technology-based. A lot of mm-hmm. them obviously start to become more technology-based because we're pushing those boundaries, but it gives you opportunity to be able to explore the human condition and who these characters are through the difficulties that you can put them in because they can't just tech their way out of things, mm-hmm. which is right. fantastic. And and honestly, exactly what Rick Berman and Brandon Braga wanted for the show. They wanted to be able to focus more on character rather than 
plot points and or techno babble solutions. And so I think that they're doing that in the in the episodes we've talked about so far. They're absolutely being able to do that. And in this episode with the transporter malfunction itself, I love the visual. I remember the first time I saw it, how striking the visual was of Novakovich after he rematerializes with leaves and rocks and all stuck in his skin. And not that the visuals that we got in Voyager or Deep Space Nine or Next Generation weren't good, especially as the years went on and we got towards the end of Voyager, where visual technology and just the the way that the visual artists on the show had refined things so much. The visuals were still beautiful, but there was something about this one that felt like another step beyond that in portraying realism. And and something that it's not gory, but it's scary to imagine that mm-hmm. happening to you. Yep. I mean, it's absolutely terrifying. The thought yeah. of beaming has become a thing we think of in Star Trek is just so easy and we don't even think about actually what's actually happening to a person, you know, like that mm-hmm. they're being deconstructed molecule by molecule and then put back together. And then, right. you know, the the fear of what happens when you then do that in this way and the filters can't distinguish between human and inanimate matter and then it all gets put back together in this terrifyingly creepy way mm-hmm. yeah i think they uh do a fantastic job with with showing us that and it again like that first episode there is a terror involved with the risk that happens here and i think it continues to help us see that you know we talked about that theme of of risk um in the first couple episodes as well and how Anything worth doing is going to be risky. You mm-hmm. have to be willing to take the risk and there are going to be consequences for that along the way. Not intentional, but there are going to be unintended consequences to that that we have to be willing to to live with. And so I just appreciate Enterprise kind of helping us be reminded that life is risk. Mm-hmm. You can't just spend all the time on your couch watching Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, which is something that I think many people have come to realize over the past year mm-hmm. yes. as uh, the situation's unfolded. And I mean, you guys are starting to get back to things there in the States, but here in Japan, we're still under a state of emergency. But but people, you know, it's not having much effect because people are like, okay, I can't do this for a year and a half. I have to get back and right. do something yep. in the real world. Yeah. The, this transporter accident, <laughs> last thing I'll say about it, though, I'm thinking visually, Anyone who wears contact lenses and knows what it's like to get a piece of dust under the lens when you mm-hmm. get it in your eye, this is that to the extreme, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Terrible. Got rocks and leaves are stuck in me here. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was thinking about that a little bit myself because yeah. being a contact glasses wearer. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go back to what you mentioned earlier on and I said we would come back to, which is what happens when people are put under this kind of stress. I think this episode does a really great job of using the distrust and animosity that has developed between the humans and the Vulcans, particularly from the humans toward the Vulcans over the hundred years or so since they made first contact, and bubbling that to the surface when the characters are under pressure, particularly between Trip and T'Pol, 
You know, I think you know, Trip doesn't like Vulcans, but I actually think up to this point, Trip does a pretty good job of being a professional officer most of the time, and he doesn't let his dislike of Vulcans impact things all that much. You know, he makes little joking comments towards T'Pol sometimes, but it's nothing like what we see here. But now, under pressure, it all comes to the surface, and it reminds me of the world today where so much animosity has developed between different groups, whether it's different political groups or different social groups. And that animosity, of course, leads to distrust, but it also colors the interpretation of everything that's said to the point where it's difficult to communicate and it leads to irrational behavior. So how do you think it works in this story? Yeah, I think one of the things about this was it does shine a light on how terrifying it could be to allow animosity to become irrational. And I think it does it in a good way because like you said, this isn't actually how Trip feels about to Paul and Vulcans, but the underlying emotions that he that he has had in the past get completely blown out of proportion. And I think it's good for us to be able to see where those things have been. I mean, I think this does give you a, a small taste of something to which will kind of build throughout the series until you get to the penultimate episodes with Terra Prime. And where you can see people having these completely irrational thoughts. And I think one of the things that makes this interesting is that, you know, Trip has had kind of a front row seat to the way in which the treatment of humans by Vulcans has harmed people he cares about, specifically mm -hmm. Archer and his father. And again, those pieces are what the psychotropic compound can latch on to and then be an old-blown insanity. Mm -hmm. But I, I think, you know, you, you led to something that was on the outline and I thought was just really smart. You know, distrust and animosity, if you continue to feed those, they just become irrational. Mm -hmm. And unless you clearly have a reason to continue to distrust something or uh, have animosity towards something because of something that's happening... A lot of times those just continue to be fed, though, for not good reasons or actual legitimate reasons and mm -hmm. then become a, a, a real issue. Or for someone else's reasons. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was really nice in this episode is how they used Hoshi and how her role was so critical to solving the problem. Mm -hmm. As we know, Hoshi sort of fades away fairly quickly as the series goes on. But here in the early episodes, they really are making language a central part of the storytelling in Enterprise, which makes so much sense. It even ties back to our tech talk a moment ago. We talked about the shuttlecraft, we talked about the transporters, but the Universal Translator is another one of those magical technologies that we take for granted in later Star Trek, which they don't have. You know, she's creating the Universal Translator in this series. And here, the fact that she is able to speak Vulcan 
is critical because that's how they're able to communicate without tipping trip off to what's going on. Because Archer could not have done that on his own. I'm As far as I know, Archer doesn't speak Vulcan. No one else around there speaks Vulcan. Mm-hmm. And so Hoshi is able to communicate with T'Pol and they're able to get everyone out of the situation. And if Hoshi weren't there, maybe they would have found some other solution, but uh, I, I'm not sure if the result would have been as favorable for the crew. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I thought that the whole solution to the the issue was really smart, not only using Hoshi, but also Archer and 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 even Trip and T'Pol don't blame each other in the end for what happens, mm-hmm. right? Archer realizes what the situation is and comes up with a very human solution to that, which is to get them to a place where we can overcome by playing along right. for a little bit. Um, right. And I thought that that was, you know, it, again, it's such a human idea to do that. And of course, you know, to Paul having to learn to make believe, even though that's not mm-hmm. a Vulcan thing. So what we're really, again, the solution to the problem here is not really a tech solution. It's a people solution. It's one about learning to overcome our innate issues in creative ways. Obviously, there's a medication here, so there's some sort of kind of technological solution. But this is really about overcoming it through a more character-driven perspective. And I think that's what makes it so wonderful and what makes it really work. And like you said, we utilize some really cool tools like language, the fact that we don't have a UT. So Trip mm-hmm. can't understand what to Paul and Hoshi are saying because it's in a language that he's not having automatically translated for him. So all of that stuff, I mean, again, really utilizing what Enterprise is and the technology involved to create fun and interesting stories, I think is just, again, I, I find it to be kind of genius and it allows us to learn about these two characters, specifically Trip and Paul. And I just wrote down a little note to myself while I was watching. I was like, again, the chemistry between these two actors is so electric. I think that's why even this episode, you give them more scenes together and they'll continue to do that throughout the rest of the series because these two actors together play off each other so well. Absolutely. And you mentioned a moment ago that T'Pol has to learn to make believe, which is not easy for a Vulcan. And I've never really connected the dots or thought about it very much. But as you said that, I was thinking back to the campfire scene and Travis telling the ghost story and T'Pol's reaction to the ghost story. And telling a ghost story around a fire is a very human activity, right? And here at the end, she kind of has to make believe. She kind of has to participate in a story to get them to the position where they can save everyone. She's experiencing a real life ghost story right now. Like yeah, people yeah, going crazy kind of. and like, uh, yeah. you know, wanting to kill one another. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, do you have any final thoughts on Strange New World? Yeah. I mean, rewatching this is really interesting because it's been a little bit since I've been through the series. And to me, as we're kind of looking at the lens of the series as to what it was meant to be and, you know, it's, it's legacy 20 years later. And 
I just I find myself really enjoying these early episodes because it is, I think, hitting on exactly what they intended for the series. And because it's meeting the promise that they, I think, made in the pilot episode, I I, I really love this episode because it's simple in its its process, but it's allowing me as a viewer to spend more time with these characters. And I think in many ways to find the joy again of what it means to explore, you know, I, yeah. I think we as human beings have absolutely lost that because yeah. we feel like we have nothing less to explore on our planet and we've stopped trying to explore space and therefore it leaves us only then to just explore our inner lives and navel gaze. And, and it's, creating all the problems we have in this world because we are looking inward instead of outward we're, we're, yeah, we're there's nothing point. to you know i think that's something i'm really loving about enterprise it it that spirit of exploration and it just kind of makes you want to get out there and go do something yeah absolutely that's a, a wonderful point about how we've turned focus so much inward instead of outward which I think is actually our nature. Like real human nature is outward exploration. But in recent years, largely because of technology, we have really turned back inward. And like you said, it is causing a lot of problems. So we'll see if we turn our attention outward. Uh, And the reality is, if we really wanted to explore, we've got the oceans, a lot of stuff on this planet we still don't know about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm loving the series up to this point, and I'm particularly loving this episode because I think it's important to actually see the birth of human deep space exploration like this within the context of Star Trek. I know some people don't like the idea of the prequel series, or they find it boring. They prefer to live in the far future. But I think what we're seeing right here allows us to get even more out of all the Star Trek that's set later in the future because we know how the Federation, how humans, how Vulcans got there, got to that place. I personally like that better than sort of not knowing the origins, not knowing what happened. And because it's supposed to be our own future, having that bridge, I think, is very important. And I think this episode... Strange New World is a great example of Berman and Braga's concept for the show really firing on all cylinders and so many aspects of the foundation of that idea are on display here and work really well. And I loved that today we were able to hit on the fact that not being able to beam out of that cave or have people Mm -hmm. go outside the cave and beam out was so key to making the story work. And yeah. and it, it's a really great episode. And we get Cutler. So any episode with Cutler is good. 100%. Well, Matthew, of course, we always rate the episodes here in our look back. So what rating would you give A Strange New World? Uh, you know, maybe I feel like a broken record, but I think... 
to me, I'd, I'd still give this a, a four out of five. I think it's a really strong episode and for all the reasons that we talked about. Uh, and I've, you know, after 20 years, I still enjoy watching this episode, which I think also speaks to how good it is. So absolutely. Where do you fall, Chris? I'm going to give it eight logs, which I'm sure is the number of logs that Porthos visited while he was running around in the field out there, because there ain't no log like a new planet log. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you would like to share your thoughts on Strange New World, of course, we would love to hear from you. There are many ways for you to do that. Perhaps the best way to join in the conversation is to go to the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. If you're already a member, you know what to do. Just go there and look for the post for this episode. And if not, then just search Facebook for Babel, B-A-B-E-L, and it should come up. If not, just type the Babel Conference. It is a closed group, so you do need to answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. And we look forward to talking to you there. And you can also find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. That's our username all around, including on Instagram. Matthew maintains our Instagram feed there, TrekFM. And you can also send us email if you want by going to the website, trek.fm slash contact and using the form there and choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5 and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. All right, Matthew, when you're not searching caves for the latest hallucinogenic drug that you can sell on the black market, where can people find you? Well, uh, you could find me, of course, uh, here on the network with the 602 Club, our whole other side of the network. We're talking everything in non-Star Trek. Of course, in that same feed, you'll find Snyder Cuts, as well as our brand new uh, sideshow that we're doing there called Assembling Avengers, as John Mills and I are walking through every single Marvel movie, kind of looking back on them outside of the hype. So I hope you'll enjoy all of that on the 602 Club side of the network. Of course, doing literary tracks as well about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then, of course, Chris, we also do The Orb. We talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is super exciting. On social media, just search Matt Rushing 2 for the platforms out there. You'll probably find me. Uh, love to talk to you there. And then I'm on the Nerd Party Network, a couple of shows. One, uh, I finished with Drea Kaufman. We talked about every single chapter of Harry Potter. One chapter of time on Owl Post, and then I do aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars every week. And so, uh, Chris, where can everybody find you? Well, you can find me here on the network, as you mentioned, doing the orb with you, talking DS9, and sometimes joining you on Literary Treks as well to talk about books and comics. I have a Star Trek Universe podcast called Interphase, and then I have The Ready Room, which is my long-running 11-year podcast now, which I now do with Larry Nemechek. And we do episodes of that podcast periodically. And of course, I'm staying busy as always with the magazine work. I just published a new issue of my magazine a few days ago, actually. And I do narrated versions of all the stories. So if for some reason you want to hear me narrate stories about business in Japan, you're welcome to do that. You can check out my Twitter account to find out how. And speaking of my Twitter account, that's where I'm most active. So if you'd like to chat with me, I'd love to hear from you. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username throughout social media. So you can find me anywhere at that username, although Twitter is where I am most active. And then I'm working on some other things for the network here behind the scenes as we're getting ready to roll out 
some new things to everybody soon. If you'd like to help us do that and help us keep all the shows coming to you, we could really use your support through Patreon. If you want to find out how to support the network, just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to find out how. And you can become an associate producer of your favorite show or shows and get involved in other ways. And I'd like to thank everyone who is supporting the network right now through Patreon. We really appreciate it and we could not do it without your help. Well, Matthew, I'm looking forward to the next episode of Warp 5, where we're going to be talking about one of my favorite fun episodes of Enterprise, Unexpected. Me too, Chris. I'm definitely excited to get to that one. Well, I hope everyone will join us for that and we'll see you next time. Let's go. Let's go.